0: LGBTQ history is American history, and we're trying to make that visible.
1: Ken Lustbader is a co-founder and co-director of the New York City LGBT Historic Sites Project, and he's a big believer in the power of landmarks.
0: The Statue of Liberty is an important site for American history, the Empire State Building, the Bridge in Selma. So those places are critical for people to understand the tangible reminders of our past.
1: Ken was in grad school studying historic preservation when he realized queer history was not getting the same landmark treatment, nowhere close.
0: And I said, well, why not LGBTQ history? And I basically wrote my thesis on the topic as an experiment.
1: Years later, long after graduation, Ken and his colleagues started the NYC LGBT Historic Sites Project. Its mission, showcase queer history from all over New York City.
0: It's not just Greenwich Village, it's Harlem, Staten Island, Queens, and Brooklyn. It's all over. That's a way that we sort of try to convey it on our map. If you go to our website, you can dive down, see what's around you.
1: Their map, an interactive map of New York City, which lives on the project's website. On it, there are these small square icons for each different historical site. Click one, and you're transported back in time to that location.
0: So people who are coming out, Who are alone and isolated, or people who are, you know, aware of gay history, can look past that and have this deeper connection, and not feel so isolated or ashamed, and know that they're not
1: alone. And so I thought, I'm in New York City. Let's get out in these streets and interact with some of these sites in real life. So today, in honor of Pride Month, we're going out in the field, baby, to see a few of these LGBTQ landmarks and explore the queer history that has shaped the city and beyond. From Gimlet... (laughs) (laughs) The world is against me, okay. (laughs) From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Palanen. Today, producer Ramoy Phillip and I are trekking across the boroughs in search of New York City's queer landmarks. And we're bringing you some of the lesser known stories behind them along the way. It's a tour to pride, if you will. So join us as we explore the rich, not always perfect, but powerful history of queerness in this city, together. Welcome aboard the Staten Island
2: Ferry. This ferry is preparing to
1: depart. Our first stop is Staten Island, after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a
3: highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem a detour.
1: Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. All right, we're here in Staten Island. Oh, well, I was going to say it's kind of beautiful, but I just kind of, I think I like this one brick building with the (laughs) ivy climbing up it. Our first stop on this NYC Pride tour is in Staten Island, and we're searching for... Not you, Pete Davidson. I'm sorry. No disrespect to your kingdom. We're here to visit author Audrey Lord's house. We're doing like a a history tour, and we were just wondering if you might know where Audrey Lord's house is. Oh yeah, I don't. That's okay. I probably should,
0: I lived here for like 15 years. Oh yeah? Oh yeah? yeah?
1: We were curious if folks in her old neighborhood knew that Audre Lorde had lived there. For some, she's a household name; for others, not so much. But her house is on the NYC LGBT historic sites map. In 2019, the city made it an official landmark. I'm, so, I'm not, now I'm starting to picture Audre Lorde like walking these blocks. This feels different now than the New York City I'm used to. Audre Lorde was a prominent writer and civil rights activist. She was born in New York City in 1934. She often wrote about her experience as a Black lesbian moving through the world, about feeling like an outcast from a young age. Poetry became an outlet for her. Is it this? Wow. Okay, I was kind of looking at it. The house is a two-story, Victorian-looking home, covered top to bottom in this handsome, light green wood siding. There's what looks like a spacious attic, where these charming rectangle windows look out onto the quiet suburban neighborhood. The reason why I was really struck by this home is they have these beautiful like chairs on their porch. And I was like, I really feel like I could picture Audrey Lorde sitting on this porch and just like watching the world go by and like writing down her thoughts.
2: We knew we were outsiders. We knew we were outside the pale. We lived in the village, we were outsiders, we were dykes. This
1: is Audrey in a clip from the documentary Before Stonewall. In it, she talks about the community of outsiders she found in the neighborhood of Greenwich Village in the 1950s.
2: A lot of us were artists. We hated typing, (laughs) right? We didn't want straight jobs. Whatever we did, we were at the fringe. Now this, of course, was the 50s. It was like the, um, the gay girl's version of the beatniks.
1: The village is also where Audrey found a queer community.
2: Though, the scene had its flaws. You have to remember that the lesbian gay girls, because that's what we would call the gay girls' population, was a reflection of what else was going on, right, around us. And that was the era of, let's pretend this is the best of all possible worlds, this is exactly what we choose, right, and this is it. So, like, nobody talked about racism. But
1: racism was something that Audrey tackled in her writing. Here, in her Staten Island home, She confronted the intersection of blackness and queerness in one of her better-known books, Zami, A New Spelling of My Name. And I've got her book here, and I want to read a passage from Zami, A New Spelling of My Name. I remember how being young and black and gay and lonely felt. We had to do it alone. We, you, and Black and fine and gay, sweated out our first heartbreaks with no school or office chums to share that confidence over lunch hour. I imagined Audrey sitting in the attic of this house, looking out through one of those windows as she wrote about her past, reminiscing about riding the train into the village, heading to some bar she loved, standing outside with the jukebox humming inside, waiting to be let in. The bouncer was always asking me for my ID to prove I was 21, even though I was older than the other women with me. Of course, you can never tell with colored people. And we would all rather die than have to discuss the fact that it was because I was black, since, of course, gay people weren't racists. After all, didn't they know what it was like to be oppressed? There's no plaque in front of Audrey Lorde's old house. No marker. Nothing physical to indicate she was ever here. Ironic for someone who documented so much of life, who cataloged moments of love and grief and self-discovery across the city. Her home is a landmark in name, but who is it for if it only reveals itself to those who know it's already there? That's a question I carried with me as we moved on to our next stop. If Audrey's story gave us insight into queer life in the 1950s, we were about to get a dose of the 1960s. We just got out of the subway. Yeah, looking for, looking for Stonewall, which is not going to be that hard because I'm staring at a sign right now that's a Stonewall National Monument. The next stop on our Pride tour was the Stonewall Inn, a gay bar in Greenwich Village. This is such a 180 from the Audrey Lorde house. Wow. Right in front of the Stonewall Inn. I'm like, now I'm seeing it for the first time. Is itself covered in rainbow flags and bright lights. There's a big sign that says the Stonewall Inn. Of all the queer landmarks in New York City, maybe even in the country, this is probably one you've heard of. It's here where in 1969, a riot broke between patrons of the bar and the police. It's commonly thought of as the spark that launched the gay and lesbian rights movement. Oh, wow. Okay, there's like a whole, like, exhibit almost. So they've put up these, like, giant images um, up on this fence. From the riots? I mean, is this it Across the street from Stonewall Inn, there are large black and white images, capturing what the streets of the village looked like during the riot. Looks like there's a police officer who's kind of like shoving this group of like young people who seem to be yelling back at the police. Doesn't that look like, um...
4: Miss Major Griffin Gracie? that's probably, that's her.
3: We were fighting for our life and we were kicking the cops ass.
1: This is activist Miss Major Griffin Gracie in an oral history project by OutWords. She advocates for the rights of Black trans women like herself. And she was in the thick of it the night of the Stonewall Riot, fighting against the cops.
3: And I made sure they knocked me out so they wouldn't break every bone in my body.
1: Miss Major grew up in Chicago in the 1940s. When she started affirming her gender, her family rejected her. So she moved to New York City to find her own family in places like the Stonewall Inn.
3: It was a transgender, gay-friendly, male-hooking escort bar. Girls were there, you know.
1: And while New York was safer, it still wasn't safe for a Black trans woman. By this time, the NYPD were arresting people for things like cross-dressing or the even more vague masquerading. And since the Stonewall Inn catered to gay and trans patrons, it also became a regular stop for Manhattan cops.
3: And their routine is the same all over. You hit the door jam with that nightstick and it echoes through the bar and the bartenders know when that happens, turn the lights on. (laughs) That's last call. They either ask for ID or check you out if you were leaving or as you stepped out of the club, you stepped into a paddy wagon.
1: The night the riot broke out in 1969, the police pulled up to the Stonewall Inn and started aggressively confronting patrons. The situation escalated into violence. It said some of the girls threw stuff at the cops and slashed the police car tires. The uprising would go on for days. And Miss Major Griffin Gracie says the unsung heroes were the Black queer community who had sparked it.
3: Y'all wouldn't have this goddamn spot if our community didn't get together back in 69 and kick these motherfucking cops' ass for this shit to start.
1: The riots at Stonewall happened in June of 69. It's part of why we celebrate Pride this month. And today, Stonewall has become a significant symbol of resistance and justice of the LGBTQ community. As we left the village and headed to the train, and the number of rainbow flags dwindled, I was thinking, like, this is what I had expected a landmark to look like. Big, visible. A beacon that shouted, hey, something important happened here. If the point of a landmark was to show how connected we were to the past, how present it still was... The Stonewall Inn, in all its pomp and celebration, was doing just that. We are on, back on the train, on our way to Harlem. Now, we had one last site to visit, all the way uptown. The home of New York's most famous, most breathtaking drag balls.
4: Do you ever think you get to visit that original location?
1: You know, my dream would be to like go to a ball there.
3: Stand clear of the closing doors, please.
1: After the break,
3: life is a highway.
1: Welcome back. Before the break, producer Ramoy Phillip and I went out in search of places on the NYC LGBT Historic Sites map. And we were starting to see just how present this history still is. How these physical locations act as portals into stories of the past. Stories of Black and brown queer New Yorkers living their lives, shaping the city, and perhaps unknowingly, shaping the future. This is a our journey has one last stop, uptown. Stan Island to Greenwich Village to Harlem. Here we are. Ramoy asked me what I think of when I think about Harlem. Black people. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, vibrant Black history and life and culture. We were off to find a famous building on Ken's LGBT Historic Sites map. That's where a lot of the seminal documentary Paris is Burning was shot. The 1990 movie chronicles the Harlem drag scene. It introduced voguing and drag balls to the masses. And it was mostly shot behind the doors of what is now this church. Faith Mission Christian Fellowship Church, oh wow. It's got like red awning that looks like it's seen better days, kinda worn. You know, a nondescript, double yellow door. Paris is Burning takes you through those double doors into the world of the Harlem drag ball. Part dance party, part competitive modeling, these informal fashion competitions were gathering places for queer artists to show off their work. The film opens with these doors opening up. And in walks this queen decked out head-to-toe in gold. She's flanked by two shimmering puff sleeves in a gown fit for an 80s glamour Barbie. Her face is framed by feathers on the collar around her neck and atop her floppy-brimmed headpiece. Tying it all together are her black sunglasses, which rest so delicately on her high cheekbones, dusted with a deep pink blush.
2: Learn it, and learn it well.
1: She makes her way to the main ballroom floor, where an enthusiastic crowd of mostly black and brown faces with the biggest smiles size her up, cheer her on, and sing her praises.
3: Shantae, 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 Shantae.
1: She struts down the catwalk confidently, working the crowd. And they go absolutely wild. Prince Queen. Prince Queen. Prince. Paris' is Burning put the lens directly on these drag teams called Houses. There was the House of Ninja, the House of Extravaganza, and the House of Labasia.
3: I am Pepper La Beja, the legendary mother of the House of La Beja. But this is a new meaning of family, a group of human beings in a mutual bond.
1: Each house had a mother, like Pepper, who acted as leader, part fashion and modeling coach, part guardian and protector.
3: A lot of these kids that I meet now, they come from such sad backgrounds, you know, broken homes or no home at all. And then the few that do have family, when the family finds that they're gay, they X them completely.
1: And from this mutual bond this need for community also came in understanding that how you presented, it mattered. It had a material impact on how you were perceived, how you were treated, what you had access to, on your whole life. And for that reason, it was worth subverting, worth fucking with. But if you walk down this block, you won't find much beyond a worn red awning with some faded text that reads Faith Mission Christian Fellowship Church. Unless you already knew its story, you wouldn't know what this church used to contain. The legendary drag performers that walked through its doors. And the legacy that started long before the makers of Paris is Burning turned on their cameras. Ramoy asked me if I knew that the history of ballroom went as far back as the Harlem Renaissance. You I, about the
4: deep history of, ballroom going back to the Harlem Renaissance even before drag culture
1: No, I... I've... Don't really know much about drag culture pre-70s,
4: 80s. Remoy here. So the drag scene in Harlem does go way back. Before this building was a church, it was an Elks Lodge social club. It was built back in the 1920s at the beginning of the Harlem Renaissance. A time when black artists like Billie Holiday and Langston Hughes were thriving. But it was also a time for drag shows. Drag shows, or masquerade balls, were all the rage uptown. Limos would pull up to venues like the Elks Lodge. Beautiful queens in their heels and gowns walked through the doors in their big wigs and powdered faces. Bands played in the background. The night was filled with costume competitions where a panel of judges handed out awards for the best dressed. Hundreds, sometimes thousands, showed up in the audience to watch. Artists, writers, and even celebrities traveled from all around town to attend the Harlem Balls or, as local newspapers deem them, dances of the fairies.
1: Oh, wow. You know, I feel like I can totally picture that. Like, at the end of the night, I imagine those doors swinging open as people made their way back home by foot, by train, maybe even by ferry. That's F E R R Y and they'd still have the evening's festivities playing in the back of their minds. The theater, the performance, the celebration of things and people that don't conform, the beauty of them. After our tour, I had a lot of admiration for the work that Ken Lustbader is doing at the New York City LGBT Historic Sites Project. I felt like I had unlocked a new way to look at the city around me, a new awareness of how close these histories are.
0: You can place it and ground it more um, effectively by seeing a building or a site or knowing something connected to that history. Those places, you have a visceral connection to that past.
1: A visceral connection to the past. I don't know if Ken meant that literally, but I felt that. Walking home from the day, I noticed I moved differently between the buildings and down the sidewalks like I could feel the past and the present collapsed on top of one another. It's almost like I could hear the echoes of those that had passed through before.
2: We knew we were outsiders. We knew we were outside the pale. We lived in the village. A lot of us were artists.
3: This is a new meaning of family, a group of human beings in a mutual bond. And ah, talk about happy. New York was heaven.
1: Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Ramoy Phillip. Next week, we're going full frontal into the world of Playgirl. Any of like the hard and fast rules that like you really would not be able to get away with in virtually any office culture didn't exist at Playgirl. Like, this was a wild, wild ride. The rest of our team is producer Sarah Craig. Our associate producer is Julie Carley. Laura Newcomb is our production assistant. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Zach Stewart Pontier and Andrea B. Scott. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. Sound design and mixing by Hans Dale Shee. Original music by Sax Kicks Av, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toco Liana by Coco Co. with music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. To learn about more LGBT sites and tour around New York's long queer history, check out nyclgbtsites.org. You can also hear the full Miss Major interview and other trans oral histories at theoutwordsarchive.org. Special thanks to Chantal Lee, Jason Bauman, Eric Washington, and to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzika, Dan Behar, Jen Han, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, and Joshua Bianchi. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the little bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. And while you're there, why don't you rate the show five stars? Come on, don't be shy. You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week.
4: That's a wrap, fam.
1: That's a wrap. All right.